The wealthmanagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong, the editor of wealthmanagement.com. And this, as you know, just simply a podcast that exists purely so I have a chance and opportunity to speak to the folks in the wealth management industry who are pushing the industry forward into new and interesting areas across the board asset management, broker-dealers, custodians. And today I'm thrilled to be talking to Bruce Bond, a pioneer in the exchange-traded funds space. Bruce is the founder and CEO of Innovator ETFs, which holds nearly $8 billion in AUM across 90 ETFs. Bruce, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, David. I'm looking forward to it. Well, this has been great because I I, I can't think of a a more innovative exchange-traded fund company than Innovator. And your previous firm, PowerShares, which really kind of charted new areas in the entire asset management space for exchange traded. And I, before we begin, I'll mention that you three-time award winner for the wealthmanagement.com industry awards for ETFs. Yeah, yeah. over the last three years, each of the yeah. last three years, yes. That's, that's, I don't think there's any company that has a, a better track record. And, and you've been a finalist for CEO of the year for asset management categories, including this year, up against some pretty uh, heavy competition. Yeah, yeah. I'm privileged to be a part of that group. It's fantastic. You know, and I think it really speaks to what our judges see, the benefits that you bring to financial advisors, really, because those awards are all about the financial advisor, what helps financial advisors create better outcomes for their clients. And these are defined outcome ETFs. So why don't you just, uh, uh, before we jump into it, take, take a step back for folks who don't know you, don't know the firm. Could you just kind of level set for us, Innovator ETFs? who you are, uh, where you're coming from, what you do. Innovator ETFs uh, got started in 2017. And uh, I came back into the industry to start the business along with my founding partner, John Southard, who was with me at PowerShares as well. And we saw that there was a tremendous need within the advisory community to be able to control risk outside of just bonds or outside of just uh, you know hoping for correlation to protect them during difficult times. And we, we saw some of the insurance products that were available and structured products that were available and were intrigued by the payoffs. And we are huge believers in the ETF structure itself and in its ability to deliver most of the performance in the most efficient way possible to investors. And uh, so we began, you know, we kind of embarked on our journey at that time to figure out how could we put some of the most basic payoffs that would provide real risk management capability and tools to advisors that they currently didn't have access to. And Innovator ETS was born out of that. Yeah, and it, uh, we should say, if you want to, just real quickly, give us the, the gist of how the uh, buffer ETFs work, right? This kind of minimizes uh, downside risk while also kind of capping upside risk, but that's the, that's the payoff you take. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the first products that we introduce are called buffer ETFs. 
And uh, these are the first, it took us a year and a half to get the SEC to approve those products. And, uh, you know, we, we wondered if we were going to get them approved sometime because they are a first of their kind. Yeah. And what they do is they give people the opportunity to participate in the equity markets um, with a cap on the upside, but with a known buffer on the downside. So we started with three different buffer levels on the S&P 500, for example. So you could have a, a 9% buffer against losses or a 15% buffer against losses, and that would be from zero to 15. So over a year, if the S&P was down uh, 15% or less, you would lose no money. If it was down 16% for the 15 buffer, you would lose 1%. And then we also had a 30 buffer. Now with the 30 buffer, you actually exposed for the first 5%, but all the way down to 35% after that, you had no risk of loss. You just have that first 5%. Now, after 35%, you would begin to lose again. So it is a buffer against losses for these certain amounts on the downside. And they, they have a prerequisite cap on the upside. And basically what we're doing uh, is selling off you know, the potential to get ec extra upside in order to uh, buffer or to create some protection a level of protection on the downside. And people were very excited about, you know, having the opportunity to do something like that. Yeah. The thing that strikes me about them is that you're, you're very transparent about that, that trade-off and, and these are transparent products. Previous to innovator ETFs and, and these ETFs that you created, uh, what was an advisor's option? You say the structured product markets, uh, insurance, could, and it was it was just very it was not transparent, right? And expensive and right, they were, exactly, they were exactly. They were illiquid. They were not transparent, so you didn't really know what you owned. They were also, you know, it's a taxable situation every year. It was very difficult for most advisors to incorporate them in their business, as they tend to be fee only. And therefore, you know, how do you incorporate something like that in your business if you're fee only? Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, with uh, the ETFs, it's easy to incorporate those in your business. They're transparent. And I think the big thing is from a tax perspective, we don't expect any cap gain distribution. So here again, the ETF structure brings the tremendous value of growing your assets uh, on a deferred basis, a tax deferred basis until you actually sell the ETF. And so it brings all these tools and all this value to the table that currently didn't exist before. Uh, another thing that I'd like to just mention real quick, one of the things that we had to come up with was a tool so that people, you can really, you can participate in these like right around their beginning, you know, when they reset or you can participate anytime during the outcome period. All you have to do is, you know, go to the Innovator website, look on there, and you can see how much upside you have left, how much downside buffer you have available. And so you can see at every moment within the day exactly what your payoff profile looks like. And so we have a lot of people participating in the middle of these outcome periods, not necessarily most of these are over one year. We have some quarterly products, but most uh, most of them are over one year, especially the buffers. They're, they're, over they're, one reset, year. they're reset every year. 
yeah, they're reset over one year. So when you, we say you get like on the nine buffer, most recently, you get 20% of the upside of the market. You have a 9% buffer on the downside of the market. And that would be where the product finishes in one year. That would be your payoff in one year if you stayed in it. But we have a lot of people just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to trade out and I'm going to buy this new one or I'm going to get in in the middle. And, you know, we have a lot of that happening within the products. Once you buy the product and you get comfortable with it, you start to realize that uh, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to use the products uh, for interim periods as well. Yeah. And you can see those uh, bands as they they, they move uh, right. uh, during the course of your that period. Uh, you can see that information on the website. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. you know what, what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I encourage everyone to go to the website if you have any interest, because I, there's a tremendous amount of information there uh, that you would be able to glean about the products. Well, I mean, the, and, and the market has really spoken, right? Uh, the market has found these valuable. Uh, uh, the the inflows, I, I think, you've set records over the past two years. It's been a, it's been a success by by the market standard. Yes. Yes, it's been a tremendous success. The other thing I would say is that these still aren't available in any of the wirehouses. These are just available primarily in other than at Raymond James, they're available at Raymond James. And but other than that, for any major distribution, these are not available. And uh, you know, firms like Raymond James are are making a lot of headway with the products as they, you know, start to realize their value. Would you care to hazard a guess as to why they're not making headway in the warehouse? Well, you know, um, it's difficult to to really understand. Uh, some of you are familiar with the complex product rules that have come out and that has made some of them concerned. And we obviously compete with a lot of other in-house products at the firms. Mm-hmm. And so that's a challenge as well, you know, as they uh, attempt to determine, you know, the best way to go about uh, incorporating the uh, innovative product line. Yeah, uh, they're not strangers to innovative products. No, or complex products. Yeah, they <laughs> they that. they have all those. They have all these products actually that we have. They have all these products. It's not new. It's just that it's ours are in the ETF versus you know a note. There may be some economics at play there that are not necessarily favorable to them, but yeah, favorable but- to the advisors and the investor. Um, right. So I was going to ask, the, in the recent, I don't know, month, two months uh, here uh, that the markets have seemed to fluctuate and fall apart, what happens to your ETFs? What happens to flows? Uh, what happens to your uh, benchmarks, your resetting? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it have a significant effect? How are your ETFs holding up? Yeah, they're holding up tremendously. And uh, obviously, you know, we we have been for over a year now warning people that, you know, you you cannot pump the amount of capital that was pumped in the market without having to pay the pauper one day. And, um, you know, that that rooster has come home to roost. And we think that we're in a, a little bit of an elongated uh, flat market here or slightly up market. I mean, we could get a rebound in some of the stocks, but we think it's a time to be very careful. And the, the wonderful thing about the buffers, we just you know, keep it simple there, is that the caps expand during volatility. And so I mentioned the nine buffer a minute ago at the, the last month here had a 20% cap. You know, last year this time, it might have had a 14% cap or something like that. So you can see the cap has moved up by 6%. Mm-hmm. And so during volatility, the cap moves up. And also during higher yielding 
So uh, when stocks yield more, there's more budget in order to be able to buy more of the options that are necessary to structure these products, and therefore the cap moves up as well. And so during vol- uh, volatile, high-yielding periods, the caps are very good. And what we have seen is that last year, you know, we, we had a what we would say is a decent year. We did about $1.5 billion in new assets last year. But this year, you know, we've already surpassed probably two and a half billion or two billion, fifty million or something like that in new assets this year. And uh, so there's been a tremendous amount of interest this year in the products. As people, you know, they're starting to look at the 60-40 and they're saying, okay. You know, this has been a tremendous ride over the last 10 years when stock went up and bonds went up. But, you know, are we should we expect that going forward? And I think uh, with rates where they are, you just don't have the upside available in bonds anymore or the yield. And so they're looking for some alternatives. They're they're looking for how do I uh, provide uh, or, or reduce my risk in equities without necessarily having to count on that, you know, the bond portion. What else can I do? And uh, as people rethink how to structure their portfolios, they're looking a lot of them to uh, the innovator products and buffers and those types of things in order to be able to improve their outcomes, but also the knowledge of what their outcome will likely be. It gives them more control over that. And, and um, that's what uh, so many advisors are comfortable with in their clients. Yeah. I can take this in two directions. You, you've also launched a, a, a product for bonds as well, using the same buffer structure. Yes, exactly. TLT. We have two products on TLT. Um, one is a floor, you know, which has performed great. Obviously, if you own TLT, has a floor on TLT, and and you have a cap on the upside of how much you can make on it. And you know, if you really, if you kind of look at okay, what really gives you negative correlation to equities in the bond world? Well, you can get it out of the ag, but I mean, if you really want some good negative correlation, you need to go out on the uh, the duration scale. And TLT tends to be the best counterbalance, but nobody wants to go out of there because it's pretty scary out there on the end, you know? So I think what this does is take some of that risk tail off for people and uh, gives them the ability to have that negative correlation, hopefully that they're looking for, but not with a, as much risk. It's similar to a buffer, but what a floor does is you have exposure to the first 5% down in the market, and then you have no more risk after that. And I think that is what's attractive to, for people as well. They'll take a little bit of risk with their exposure in the fixed income space, but they don't want any more risk after that. And so we're also crafting positions like that for people that are looking to take risk off the bond shelf. Hmm. You know, it's such a, 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 a story, I mean, of these buffer ETFs that seem to tells itself, and I know they're complicated under the hood, but when you go out or were going out to advisors uh, right off the bat with these products, what were the questions that advisors were asking you and, and what were, were there any points of resistance or, or did you have to kind of convince them of the, of the merits or what were those I, early discussions like? I think we did some, yes. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we went out with a very simple story and the simple story was buy the S&P with a downside buffer. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, when we started selling these, the S&P was, it had been charging up for a long time and people were like, okay, well, this could turn around one day and I'd like to have a buffer against losses when that happens. So those people got in early and, you know, they were 
probably protected during this uh, to a degree, you know, by the buffers in this recent downturn. Well, and so we keep it simple. It, it really, I like to say it's, it's on face value. It's not that complicated. You know, you, you buy it, you get the buffer. As long as you buy right around the beginning of the month when the new month is offered, that's what you get. And, and it's not, there's not a lot of rocket science to, it, science to it. But when you want to start evaluating buying in the middle and things like that, then, you know, you got to make sure you do your homework. But by and large, I think the early adopters, many of them may have been at a wire and they love structured products. And they were like, but you know what? The problem with structured products is I, I really can't incorporate it easily in my business. Mm -hmm. I got a thousand QCIPs I'm trying to keep track of. I don't know who owns what and what they own. And, and uh, the whole commission structure, the tax thing, the, you know, the, the fact that they're, they're not transparent and liquid, they, they just, you know, a lot of them were looking for a solution. And that really is what we've brought to the table, a solution to all the things you didn't like um, about a note and what's in a note. Uh, solved for that and brought that in an ETF and actually brought extra benefits to the table, like the tax benefit, the counterparty risk, but you know, that you, it isn't a note, right? So you're not putting in a reliance on a bank mm -hmm. and those types of things brought those things to the table. And so many of the earlier adopters were very familiar with structured products and they were like, this is just, this is a no brainer. And uh, so that's how we got started. And then from there, you know, we, we had to just continue to explain to people, you're just buying the S&P 500 with a buffer or the EFA with a buffer or the emerging markets with a buffer or the NASDAQ uh, or the QQQ with a buffer. And that's what you're doing. So if, you're, if you, if you want to own equities, but you're concerned about the risk you're taking, then you might want to buy this. You know, we have a story we tell around here. I used to always talk about it when the business was getting going. But, you know, most people are in the market naked. They just buy equities and they just are along for the ride. That is their only hope that the market goes up. People that started that in January, maybe retired last year, got all their money in, didn't have a proper plan in place. And, and even if they did, they bought bonds and equities. I mean, they really got hurt. And so what else is there that can give you the ability to understand over the next year, this is the amount of uh, or this is the level of protection that I have available to me over the next year. And this is my potential upside. And what we find is most people, when you talk to them about it, they're like, you know what? They're willing to give up excess upside to have a buffer on the downside. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense when everybody's just making all kinds of money and the market's going straight up. But then you get into a market like this and people are like, absolutely, you know, um, you know, they're expect expecting low uh, double digits or single digits over the next couple of years. And they're like, yeah, this makes total sense for me. Do you find uh, advisors are using these? Have they changed how they're incorporating them into their clients' portfolios? Or they, have they moved more to, towards a core holding of sorts or, or how have they? They um, have, they have, you know, we, we have a lot of, uh, you know, nice size trade, you know, 80, hundred million dollar trades these days mm -hmm. as people start to look at, um, how to, you know, different ways they want to incorporate them in their business. And what we're seeing is some of those kind of a third, a third, a third where, uh, advisors are saying, you know, I'm going to put a third of my assets in the buffers 
I'm going to keep a third in equities. I'm going to have a third in bonds. But what it tends to do is to reduce volatility and give them potential for a better returns down the road as the equity market gets going. So they're becoming a little less reliant on the bond side by having the buffers, but attaching that conservative position to their bucket. And right now, most advisors, and expectantly so, they look at their their portfolio kind of like, you know, equity and bonds. You know, I have bonds for this, have equities for this, but they don't really think bigger like, okay, do, they, they don't think necessarily just in terms of risk. How much risk do I want to take? What does that risk look like? And how, and, and primarily, I, I think a portion of that is that, you know, the risk, uh, they, they only have so many tools to be able to control risk. Yeah. And because of that, you know, those are kind of the two knobs that they turn. I mean, obviously, there's annuities and structured products and hedge funds and uh, private equity and these kind of things. But in terms of having the knowledge of what you're out, you know, or a better knowledge of what your outcome will be over a year or more control over that, that's a new thing for most advisors to have yeah. available I to them. I, I agree. So I was from, from our side of the table, when we look at the advisor landscape, we see kind of bifurcating into the, the advisors that are just going to, they're going to say, you know, uh, asset management is not my value prop. So I'm just going to outsource that to whatever model or whatever, you know, outsourced uh, uh, asset manager I have, or I'm going to lead with my asset management chops. And, you know, I'm sure you've run into a lot of RIAs who, you know, they got their own secret sauce, their own little, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Their own uh, particular uh, options overlay strategy, oh, yeah. you know, and that's that's their value prop. But for advisors who maybe you know don't want to either go into the bucket of low cost Vanguard ETF model or yeah. have a you know fancy uh, uh, soup of, of option overlay strategies that they lead with, there's really nothing yeah. to do for them. Right, right, and and this is something that gives them some tool a, a tool to do that, and and also allows them to sound very sophisticated, you know, once they learn the product, I mean, because the products are sophisticated and very interesting, you know, most, as I mentioned, most investors and investors are willing to make the trade-off of uh, giving up uh, potentially upside, you know, you don't know how high the market's going to go, but if you get capped out, the, anything above the cap in order to have the buffer, many people in these types of markets are willing to give that up. If you think today, Someone wants to get into the market and get reinvested today. Well, it could be the right time. It may not be the right time, you know. And uh, but if you could do it with a buffer on the downside, if the market does go down some, that's okay. Uh, you know, you, you have a buffer in there. But if it goes up, you're going to participate. And that's what a lot of people are interested in having. And what we're finding is the uh, strategists are starting to incorporate the buffers uh, in their model portfolios. Mm -hmm. And we think that's only going to grow. I don't think, you know, um, I think that um, even some of the models out there, you know, they, they tend to be the same, right? They're bonds and equities and, you know, they're trying, but they, you know, many of them, I think when this year is finished, there's going to be a look back and, you know, um, we're all going to going to do an evaluation of how all these portfolios uh, performed and did they do what they were supposed to? And if not, why not? Mm -hmm. And I, I think um, there there's going to be new attention paid to th other ways to mitigate risk. Yeah, it'll be a wake up call for for. Many. 
One other thing I would add is that we do run into a lot of people that want to do their own options or do their own options or put on some kind of an overlay. Or And uh, what they start to realize with our product is that it's so inexpensive to be able, you know, we're doing everything at an institutional level. And so when they have to go in and do this themselves, it gets very expensive for their clients. And uh, so to participate in the buffers, uh, you know, with, with the ETF, I mean, is far more efficient for them. They're not wasting their time. Now, they may say, well, this is my secret sauce and what I do, but many of them are incorporating the buffers. I, when I, I used to talk to many of the banks about these when the products were new, a lot of time the trading desk at all the big firms that trade options, they would say, yeah, this is what I do in my own portfolio, but why would I waste my time? I would just buy the buffers now. Yeah, yeah. So. No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the uh, do you notice? I mean, one of the criticisms of ETFs has always been that they're too easily tradable. Do you notice advisors uh, or investors performance chasing in their own way with these buffer ETFs, uh, moving in and out of them as they kind of make thoughts about which direction the market's headed in? Some, some you do see some of that. Let, let me give you an example. You know, if you bought the nine buffer with a twenty cap. And, and the market went up uh, 10% in, in six months, for example. And, you know, the fund doesn't travel an exact uh, uh, line with the spider. You know, it, it might trail it a little bit because there's time value in the options and that. But let's say you're up 5%, the market's up 10%. Uh, it will match it at the end of the year. But mid-year, you know, it's kind of trailing a little bit. We see people at the end of a month when a new product comes out, they may sell that and buy the new one. Mm. And the reason they do that is they are, in a sense, giving themselves a higher cap if the new cap is higher. And they're also locking in that gain that they have. So if the market were to sell off, now they have that 4% or 5% that they just got is uh, somewhat buffered now. And so they move up with their buffer. So they will trade in or lock up as they go up. We have people doing those types of strategies in order to step up their buffer as they go along. Oh, that makes sense. Um, I, I wanted to, before we run out of time, talk a little bit about the, your background and, and your history. Uh, you come out of Wheaton, Illinois. Yes. And somehow Wheaton, Illinois has become the hotbed of ETF innovation uh, in the country, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is interesting how that all uh, kind of is here and at have, the time. I've been, I've been to Wheaton, Illinois. And I, oh, I have you? Wheaton, Illinois. Uh, uh, it's a beautiful little town. Yeah. But, it, uh, but on, uh, you know, on first drive through wouldn't strike anyone as a uh, the place where... Uh, yeah. Financial hotbed. Yeah, exactly. So how, how do you, what's, the, what's the story? Well, you know, um, I, I think going way back, uh, you know, people, well, first of all, uh, John Naveen, you know, was, uh, was, is in Chicago. Naveen, everybody's familiar with Naveen, I would imagine. Sure. And, um, you know, so uh, Don Sveen, among others, uh, were all from this area. He was the president of Naveen at one time. John Naveen was not from Wheaton, but in this area. And then Bob Van Campen, many of you are familiar with Van Campen Merritt that go way back. Bob Van Campen worked at Nuveen, left Nuveen, started Van Campen. You know, Van Campen Merritt was sold to Morgan Stanley. And so what happened was, well, and then uh, Bob Van Campen actually started Nike Securities, which became First Trust. Mm -hmm. 
and First Trust, you know, is 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 a, a big organization themselves. Have uh, dropped a lot of seeds in this area. I worked at First Trust at one time, left and worked in Nuveen for a while, and then uh, started PowerShares and now Innovator. And so it's just been one of those situations here where you had these kind of forefathers of the financial kind of the mutual fund industry and and retail investing world uh, in this area. And then there were a lot of people that worked there. And then there was a lot of seeds planted and a lot of other people started their own shops and did different things. And so it's just continued to grow in this area. And that's primarily why it's here. Uh, Amplify as well. If you're familiar with Amplify, yeah. Ampl mm -hmm. Amplify is in the area. Mm -hmm. So uh, Christian Magoon, you know, he was a yep. former employee yep. at, uh, at First Trust and then uh, uh, yeah, so Claymore Securities, as some of you remember Claymore, yep. you know, so, um, yeah, we all kind of just kind of stayed in the industry and, and worked through it here. And there's a large retail facing RIAs that are uh, based out there. Too, oh, yeah. The Rockford, Illinois area and, the, you know, west of Chicago. Uh, you, do you think that maybe that one of the reasons that happened was because it wasn't in a traditional conventional financial services hub? That it, I think it could be, it yeah. Room for for this kind of yeah you know uh interestingly enough uh, most of us came out of the uit business which is what first trust was nike securities for the longest time you know they never did anything but uits they still do and if you think back to and and the part that really the start of power shares the dogs of the dow and all this stuff that was done back then was really a quantitative approach to investing way back when and so when we started PowerShares, we had done, you know, many types of quantitative approaches to selecting portfolios, kind of like the dogs in the Dow, but on a broader sense that reset uh, every 13 months and this kind of thing. And, you know, my idea at the time was to take a more sophisticated approach to that and create an index out of that quantitative methodology, which really was the beginning of smart beta. And we did that. We created these indexes called the Intellidexes, which were calculated by the American Stock Exchange, and they're now owned by the New York Stock Exchange and still calculated today and have ETFs based on them. And so we, we uh, created these indexes that were kind of you know intelligent indexes that used more quantitative measures rather than just dollar price or cap weighting yeah. uh, to bring... What you're talking about here? The, the, that would have been the very first funds we did. That's what they did. So that would have been May of 03. Yeah. So long before smart beta became a marketing term. Yeah, exactly. And nobody knew what to call them. Some guys called them, you know, we call them IntelliDexes for the indexes, but they called them smart indexes and, you know, and all and all. But then when, and, and we used factor investing before the factor term was uh, attached to it. But, you know, the reason... You know, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of what I've always done is tried to say, where can I really bring value? You know, even when we started PowerShares, we were up against, you know, State Street and uh, iShares, which, you know, Barclays back then, and you know, the biggest of the big, right? And, and so I'm like, how are we going to make this work for us? 
And so I've always tried to create my own lane, you know, and do something a little unique to what is out there, but makes a lot of sense for people. And that was the beginning of, of uh, Smart Beta back then. And, and today, you know, with Innovator, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're trying to do the same thing, give people a better way to control risk. And we believe that this market will continue to expand in time. Uh, and and more and more things will come to market. And uh, we already, you know, since we launched, we do have several competitors in the market now kind of replicating what we're doing. And we expect more to come to the market as well. Yeah, I mean, the defined outcome uh, has become almost as much of a widely used marketing term as smart beta was back in the day. Right, exactly. And, and uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't know if you see the uh, Brown Brothers uh, survey that they do, but that's the number one thing people are interested in finding, you know, more ideas along those lines and seeing more ETFs along those lines that they can utilize in their business. And, you know, typically when you seek that kind of thing and that kind of interest building, you know, there are more products come to the market that make a lot of sense. And we're just happy to, you know, have been a part of introducing something like that. Yeah, for sure. I, so I know we're kind of running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you, what's uh, on the whiteboard? What do you think in the future? I mean, we're going to continue, I think, to see markets go down and down and down, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they're going to struggle here for a bit. And I think it's a great time to have a buffer. I mean, I really do. I mean, I mean it's a little self-serving to say that, but, you know, I think it's a good thing to have and, and you don't give up much to have it. Um, any, any ETF innovations on the whiteboard there? One of the ones, sorry, what, what, yes, we just announced a um, product that I think is going to be very compelling. And for advisors that would rather set it and forget it, and they don't want to manage, you know, they don't want to use a buffer day to day and watch it and think about it and that kind of thing um, with Parametric, who is kind of our partner on the product mm-hmm. that allows you to get most of the upside of the S&P 500, and it, uh, we're rolling multiple options in there to create more income so that we can get more upside, and it happens automatically for you. Now, the one uh, drawback to that is that you give up the defined nature of the product. It's not like I buy it today for this, and I'm going to I know I'm going to get somewhere in this range or close to this range in the future. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're relying upon uh, innovator and per- parametrics asset management capability. They've been doing this for a very long time to deliver that to you, but we think it's going to be a tremendous product. We're, we're introducing one on the, uh, on the spider and one on the cues. Okay. Uh, so people can participate in either one. And um, we, we think that'll be, a tremendous product. We're, we're also the other thing. I mean, interestingly enough, this you know is a little different than our other products, but we have a floor product that we're working on for Tesla. Hmm. Yeah, where you can get you know up to you know thirty percent of the upside of Tesla's performance on a quarterly basis, but you have a floor of twenty percent. So you know you have a max loss of twenty percent, but you have the opportunity to participate up to thirty percent quarterly on the upside of Tesla. And, um, you know, this is the only single stock uh, that we're considering doing this with. But, you know, we think that the potential for Tesla to have some downside is there. And we want people like for my for myself, you know, I'm up, you know, I don't know, 900 percent, a thousand percent of my Tesla position that I have personally. And, uh, you know, for me, I would think about just selling a position rolling over into something like this. And in a sense, only having 20% downside on that position, you know, going forward. And 
Uh, I don't know how much uh, Tesla is going to double annually or anything like that, but I mean, you still are going to get, you know, probably 25 to 30% of the upside quarterly. So we, we think some of those types of products can be interesting for people that uh, maybe in a one-off situation, but we still tend to believe that the core holdings of some of the accelerated, you know, we, you get uh, multiples of the upside with a buffer. You know, we have some products where you get two times the upside of the spider and have a nine buffer. Uh, some of those types of products we think will be very interesting as we get into more limited upside markets. Yeah, we didn't have time to talk about the uh, the accelerated funds, but this the notion of uh, doing this for single securities is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if the, if the if the options market and the market is deep enough, right? I mean, you can see yeah. like, this for Apple, you could do this for Google, you could do this for yeah, exactly. We, we've looked at all of them, and and I think we have some interest. What we want to see is. Tesla is the one that's given up the least here, you know, and uh, we, we, uh, we thought, okay, let's see how Tesla goes. If it goes well, then maybe we'll consider the others. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, Bruce, I know we're over the time uh, and I, I know I kept you longer than I, I intended to, but thank you very much for, for sticking with us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been the Advisor Innovations Podcast and you've been listening to David Armstrong and Bruce Vaughn. Thank you very much. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.